Exonation Derek P. Gilbert is our guest. www.officialdisclosure.com and along with Josh Peck, he is the co-author of The Day the Earth Stands Still. Once again, their website is officialdisclosure.com. Uh, you know, Josh, um, I, I'm sorry, Derek. Um, getting into the getting into the to the controversy uh, of biblical times. And mm-hmm. I, I often wonder what would happen if the Bible had never been written up until the year 2017? How different would the Bible be? Would the Bible actually be written? And is it possible that as a society, we no longer need religion because we realize we're not sheep? We don't need to follow, we need to lead. Well, those are some interesting questions. Uh, and again, getting back to the idea of, mm-hmm. of responsibility, um, the only way to have avoided uh, any kind of misbehavior uh, w- would have been for God to have just said, okay, look, I'm going to create entities that are incapable of choosing the wrong thing. And for whatever reason, he chose not to do that. So we have this freedom, and now we're turning around, we're blaming God for giving us the freedom to do the things that we've decided that, we, that, that should not be done. Oh, I don't think we're blaming God for what we're doing. I think that society should look at God and blame him for what he has done. You know, we give, we give this, this creator a free pass. We give him love. We give him attention. We give him reverence for killing, for allowing injustices to go unpunished, for allowing evil to live. Evil, evil to exist. I think that's the problem, and I think this well, is why again, a number the, the of people only way to are now. Evil, though, Rob, is to have avoided is to just limit the the free will of the creatures in, in his domain to choose right from wrong. And uh, yeah, I, there, there's well, no other way around it. Your you father entities with free will. You're creating them with the probability or possibility, at least, that they are going to that some of them are going to choose mm-hmm. to do evil. Right, and but as a father. As a father, would you kill your child for doing something wrong? Hypothetically speaking, uh, well, you know, no. Uh, hypothetically, but, that well, no, how can but, you say but, hypothetically? Let's, let's say, that would either what, what, be a definite what, yes or a definite no. He's about to commit an act of violence against someone else's child. How far would you go to stop that child from doing harm to another child? I mean, we're getting into hypotheticals uh, that, that well, are really difficult to answer. It's and I not think really a hypothetical. When you look at the Bible, if you are to take the Bible as a book verbatim, we look at Sodom, we look at Gomorrah, we look at the global flood, and we look at the other examples throughout the biblical times that the, creator, the creations of God were killed, destroyed by the Creator God. Now, that's not hypothetical, because if we say that this is hypothetical, then the Bible is nothing but fiction. So I think we have to draw a line here. Right. But this is, this is a topic that's not going to be uh, easily explained in 12-minute segments. This is something that, uh, that uh, theologians and philosophers have been wrestling with and grappling with for uh, longer than the Bible has been around. Okay, we're, we're talking several thousands of years, and this is something that uh, could be delved into in more depth, but mm-hmm. probably not in, in this format to any degree that would satisfy people on either side of this debate. I guess I guess the the reason I'm, I went this way was to try and understand how we could validate the claims of multi-dimensions, multiverses, extraterrestrials, mm-hmm. all these things that make no sense to a lot of people. Like, it seems that these, this is an escape from reality. So well, how do we relate these, these instances of, of extraterrestrials, UFOs, and what we've been talking about, and put it and justify it biblically? Because are we trying to tag something onto one of the best books that have ever been written and sold? Or are we just trying to, to actually find reason for the existence of something we cannot understand? Well, I think that's why a lot of people are turning to the, uh, the UFO phenomenon and, and looking for answers there. And in fact, I think a lot of the questions you raise are questions of people who are drawn to the uh, possible existence of extraterrestrials um, for an answer because they, they can't rationalize uh, using 
our standards of, of right and wrong and morality to accept the biblical account. But if, of, but, if um, we're, but if we can't understand something from our past with all the people who have you know, investigated it, talked about it, researched it. Uh, how can we, within years of a phenomenon happening, try to understand it? And how can we try to relate this phenomenon to something in the past if we don't understand the past at all? Well, it, uh, uh, you know, again, as a hypothetical question, if we don't understand the past, we can't make sense of the future. And um, our argument is that uh, we do have a... Uh, a basis for truth, a, a worldview that is established by <clears throat> a, uh, a a man who came to earth, said, this is what I'm going to do, and then did it, uh, promised that he would return from the grave three days after his death, mm-hmm. and did it. Uh, and then by, by documenting, by um, validating right. the testimony of the Old Testament prophets, um, establish that as as true as well. Now, that is probably the way I've just phrased it and expressed it, not going to uh, convince anyone mm-hmm. who has not dug into the uh, the evidence as I have done, and I would encourage people to do so, and do so with an open mind. All right, but uh, once, the, same, once, the same holds true with the UFO phenomenon. And again, but once again, when you're, looking at, when you're looking at the validation of the prophecies of the Bible, we're looking at it in hindsight, because we're looking into the past, and we're expected to take everything or the majority or part of what has been written about as the truth. We don't know if these were put in afterwards. We don't know if the, if the lines and the dots were put into such a, a way that we now can put the dots together and say, well, wow, wow, look at this. The, you know, Christ prophesied about coming back from the dead, and look at that, he did. How do we know that that wasn't put in afterwards as hindsight, you know, yeah. to make the story come true? Well, there are a lot of tests, and this is, this is one of the things that really swayed me. Um, one of the things that cannot be mm-hmm. disputed is that the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek around 200 B.C., the uh, so-called Septuagint, Septuagint translation. Uh, Jewish scholars in Alexandria uh, translated the Old Testament into Greek because that was the language of the realm after Alexander the Great conquered the uh, the Levant uh, in the fourth century BC. So we know that the oldest, that the I mean, the, the newest of the Old Testament prophecies. I mean, even if we don't accept that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel wrote what they prophesied, even if we don't accept that David wrote the Psalms and prophesied as he did about. Uh, uh, d- describing the crucifixion in Psalm 22 the way he did, mm-hmm. we know that those cannot have been written by anybody later than about the 3rd century B.C. when it was translated into Greek. And yet, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, prophesied the coming of Messiah to the year, and there are some scholars who will say, to the day of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Um, other prophecies, like Psalm 22, describing crucifixion before the Persians had invented the practice. Uh, could not have been, even if we accept that it's it, you know third century BC. Okay, well, fine. It's still two hundred years before Jesus was born. Those cannot have been written into the Old Testament after Jesus because we have the documents. And again, this was done by Jewish scholars who presumably have no interest in trying to validate messianic prophecies that point gotcha. to Jesus of Nazareth. So. Um, there are good reasons for this, but again, trying to uh, bring this all out in a form that will convince mm-hmm. people uh, in the span of an hour is a, a virtually impossible task, but I would encourage people to dig into it, and the books I mentioned in the first yeah. half hour, uh, I, I would highly recommend for people who are interested in digging into the source evidence behind uh, the reasons that I believe, and then again, take that worldview and apply it to other claims, uh, such as uh, the ones we investigate in the day the earth stands still. Sure, let me ask you this. How come there are no prophets uh, that, you know, we don't hear of any prophets, uh, you know, since the biblical times? What happened to everything? It seems that as soon as the book was written, it was published, put on the shelves, everything stopped? Well, there are some who believe that all of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, um, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, and so forth, ended at the end of the apostolic age. Um, 
I'm not sure that that's true. Mm -hmm. I would say that everything that uh, needed to be said was said in terms of uh, prophecy that uh, we consider true and accurate. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of uh, disagreement about how to interpret end times prophecy, the book of Revelation. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to dig into my next book. I'm going to show uh, how certain Canaanite texts and rituals performed for the dead actually are going to be manifested in, in the uh, war of Gog and Magog that Ezekiel prophesied about. Um, again, one of those things where God of the Bible is responding to the small g gods of the other nations. Uh, but I think that's in part because God, uh, and you notice in the Old Testament, he's very often called Lord of hosts. Mm -hmm. Hosts is just another way of saying armies. So right. God is a military commander. Hey, listen, uh, Derek, war. we've got so, to say um, so long for tonight. I want to thank you for joining us in Nation. If you'd like more information about Derek or his book, uh, visit www.officialdisclosure.com. That's www.officialdisclosure.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. As we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Are you a skeptic about what we've been talking about this last hour or a believer? Send me your emails, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Gwilda Wiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of The Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? Find out more, X-Zone Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Derek P. Gilbert is our special guest this hour, www.officialdisclosure. Dot com. So I, 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 can, I can see by the way the conversation is going that, that you are truly a believer. Uh, 
and that and like I said, I th I think that is fantastic. I really do. I respect those who share their religious philosophy. But when you look at the big picture, uh, let me ask you a point blank question: Do you believe God is real? Absolutely. All right. Do you believe that God is the God of one and all, or a God of a specific group? Well, God is a creator who spoke all things into existence, so he is the God of all. Okay. Um, and by the way, I, I just want to share this sure. uh, with you. I, I appreciate you asking these questions, Rob. I truly do. And if I sound like I'm getting contentious, that's not no, my intention. No, no, you're, you're not uh, at all, I, I sir. Tend to get, I, okay, well, I tend to get passionate about this because this is this is what I do, and, and I do consider this of prime importance. Mm -hmm. So, again, I appreciate you asking these questions, and uh, uh, I, I don't want to come across no, as though I'm sounding contentious. You're not. So you're not at yeah. all. You're You're coming across as a very honest, compassionate person. I appreciate that. Thank you. So if God is our creator, our father, that makes us his children, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're a dad. I'm a dad. Would you ever put your child in harm's way? Not intentionally, no. All right. Um, no. So let me, let me just go one step further here. If God created all of us on this planet, and if God is the creator... Why did he kill so many of his own children? In today's society, that would make him an unfit parent, and he would deserve jail time for what he has done. So why do we, as members of society, certain members of us, choose to glorify a God who killed people at Sodom, Gomorrah, flooded the entire earth, favoring one family, killing Egyptians who apparently, if he is the creator of one and all, were his children as well. Where is the justice, and where is the logic in this? Well, we're getting into a program here that would uh, would take up, uh, we're getting into a topic that would take up a whole other program. And again, a lot of this has to do with my previous book, The Great Inception. Mm -hmm. And I would also recommend for your listeners a, uh, a book that's foundational, goes into the theology of all this, called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. That's H-E-I-S-E-R. Um, First and foremost, God created us all with free will. He did not create us to be automatons, to be uh, mindless robots, uh, loving him without any choice. Mm -hmm. um, he also created denizens of a spirit realm, of the spirit realm, and created them with free will as well. Um, when you ask a Christian today, why is the world in the state it's in? Most of us would answer, well, because of the uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. They rebelled in the garden and thus entered sin and death into the world. Okay, good enough. But if you ask a, a Jew of the second temple period, now this is the period from the time of the return from Babylon mm -hmm. to the time of uh, Jesus and the apostles, why the world is in the state that it's in, they would say, well, yeah, that was important, but there were two other rebellions that were just as important, if not more so. One was the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And I go into some depth in that in my book in which I argue that uh, that was an attempt by Nimrod, who I identify based on the work of Egyptologist David Roll as the Sumerian king Enmerkar, who is attested in the Sumerian king list. Um, there is a, an existing Sumerian poem that explains what this uh, king was trying to do, apparently trying to build what he called the abode of the gods above an ancient temple to the god Enki. Enki was uh, one of the chief Sumerian gods uh, who lived in what was called the Absu. And uh, it's, not, it's not coincidental that the Absu is the word from which we get the, uh, the English word, the abyss. So Nimrod slash Enmerkar, trying to build the abode of the gods, call it a stargate if you want to, um, or a portal of some kind to the spirit realm mm -hmm. for the gods to enter our domain directly above the abyss. Okay. Now, that's somewhat speculative, but again, that rebellion is what led to the division of nations. Uh, and if you read in Genesis chapter 10, there are 70 nations that are mentioned there. And it is also not coincidental that in the religion of the, uh, the Canaanites, who were mm -hmm. neighbors of the ancient Israelites, and in other ancient nations from the ancient Near East, they believed that their chief deity to the Canaanites, it was El, uh, there were 70 sons of their chief god. Now, 
in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. Is this going to get to my question? Because we've only got so much time, and my question to you was, is why should we revere a God who kills his own children? All right. Let me cut to the chase then. God, after the Tower of Babel, placed the nations under the dominion of these sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, Mm -hmm. Uh, And they apparently set themselves up as deities in their own right and uh, rebelled against God, chose to try to destroy the people that God called out for himself. What we're witnessing is a uh, long history of um, the rebellion by these lesser gods, these small g gods against their creator and humans that they have duped into worshiping and following them. So are are you saying that it wasn't the God of the Israelites who drowned the Egyptians. It wasn't the God of the Israelites or the God of the Bible who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? No, that... I'm, I'm, they did, but uh, they were basically, uh, th- this was a conflict between God and his chosen people and these uh, rebellious small g gods, B'nai Elohim, um, who, a- a- and their human agents, their human accomplices in this uh, divine rebellion. Okay, so, so let me get it straight. That uh, as as I'm as I think you're you're trying to tell me is that it wasn't God who did all this; it was false gods who did all this. Am I right? False gods and the uh, the people who chose to follow them. Yes. Okay. Then why is it told in the Bible that God instructed Noah to build the ark, and that God sent the angels to warn Lot and his family about the devastation that was about to occur? at Sodom and Gomorrah. Why isn't this referenced to be the other gods, and why is it only given to a specific god? And if that is the case, that there are other gods, demigods and lesser gods, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody is talking about God in the Bible, or even the Son of God, how can we give any due diligence to the Son of God being the Son of the God and not one of the demigods. I'm not quite sure I follow your question there. All right, I mean, you're, um, t- you're telling me that there are, yeah. there's more than one God, all right? We were talking about the... Right, but, this sod- is not po- but again, this is not a polytheistic, this is not a, a pantheon like uh, what we remember from studying Greek and Roman mythology, where you've got a... Uh, a king of the gods, Zeus, and then a group of other gods. Oh, okay. Are, so this is this is where I'm getting. Uh, this is where I'm getting totally confused. Is is there only one God in the Bible? The Bible, the Bible identifies and clearly specifies that there are multiple gods. But I think the way to think about it is mm-hmm. this: while there are many Elohim gods, there is only one capital G God, Yahweh. Yahweh is unique. Okay. He is the creator. And all of the others are created beings. Okay, so if there is one, if there is only one Elohim, the God who has the power as the Creator, why then did He allow these demigods to do to His children what He did, which makes Him complicit to the crime? Only if you acknowledge that He created them to rebel. He created all of us, including these uh, other spirit entities with the free will to choose right from wrong. He but chose, it, for whatever reason mm-hmm. in his creation, yeah. not to create us as uh, automatons with uh, with no ability to choose our own course of action. But it seems that, you know, uh, the, the, the phrase of free will is a religious get-out-of-jail-card-free because when logic doesn't seem to work anymore, the phrase... You know, uh, well, we were all given free will, is is implemented. But I don't see how that absolves uh, the ones who decided to commit various uh, actions. Uh, I, I don't see how that absolves. Well, them based of based on based on my knowledge of the Bible, there is the God of the creation, the God who created Adam and Eve in the mm-hmm. Garden of Eden. And which brings another thing, you know, you've got Cain who kills Abel, the survivor crosses the mountain, crows, uh, crosses the desert, crosses the mountain, goes to a village where he lays with his wife. Where the hell did they come from? But that's another show. There are so many contradictions within the Bible that when you look at it from the outside, you say, how can, how can this be real? How can this be real? Especially... 
in today's society where society talks about child abuse, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and all the other nasty things that are going on in the world today that were going on in the days of biblical times as well. And why, it, just to think that we were given free will so our Creator either destroys us, plummets the planet into a global flood, or just does nothing about it, makes no sense. Well, it depends on how you frame the, uh, frame the issue. Okay. Um, All right, let's, let's uh, yeah. take a break here because I've got, this is our final break. For this hour, Exonation. Our guest this hour is Derek P. Gilbert, and his website is officialdisclosure.com. And he, along with uh, uh, Josh Peck, are the authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still, www.officialdisclosure.com. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365 Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com.
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our guest this hour is Derek P. Gilbert, and along with Josh Peck, they are the authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still. Thanks very much for joining us, uh, uh, Derek. It's great having you with us. But I have to ask you at this point, you know, when we look at the Bible, we understand that the first four books of the Old Testament were written by Moses. And the people within, when you're talking about the validity of the the Gospels, are you only looking at the New Testament and discarding the the Old Testament? And if you're giving credibility to the to the New Testament, how does that affect the credibility and the viability of the Old Testament? No, I think it's a unified. I, I like the way uh, Dr. Chuck Mister puts it. It's a unified message system. It, you know, sixty six books by mm-hmm. uh, you know forty authors written over 1,500 years and together comprising an integrated message system from outside our time-space domain. I think that's uh, kind of a science fiction way of describing it, but it's an accurate way of describing it. My first book, The Great Inception, which Mm -hmm. was published back in uh, April of uh, last year, uh, dug into what the uh, ancient nations around Israel believed and how uh, much of what's uh, in the Bible Old Testament and New Testament were actually responses by the creator, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, mm-hmm. to these other gods uh, and their efforts to try to destroy the people that God had chosen for himself. And, you know, there are some Christians who get a little um, antsy mm-hmm. when I use the word gods in that sense, because that sounds like polytheism, but it's not. I mean, if you check the Bible, you read Psalm 82 in particular, you know, God in the Bible calls them gods. So, you know, Christians who have a problem with that you but, know, need to take it up with the author of the book. But doesn't the uh, but doesn't Bible also say in Genesis and God said, "Let us create man in our image, our likeness"? So, who are the plural gods? Well, that's a really good question, and I'm glad you brought that up because that relates to one of the main reasons that Josh and I wrote "The Day the Earth Stands Still." Mm-hmm. Uh, that, in my opinion, and I think this is the opinion of many more reputable Bible scholars, guys who actually have letters after their name to establish their credentials, take that as sort of the the royal we. Um, You know, there are Christians who try to read New Testament back into the Old Testament and say, well, that's the Trinity there. Mm -hmm. I I don't go there because that wouldn't have made any sense in the 15th century B.C. when Moses wrote that down. But still, you know, God using that in the royal we, uh, I I think, makes the most sense. But understanding that verse... mm -hmm is key to why we in the book uh, say that Christians should have no problem if, in fact, someday an actual extraterrestrial lands on the White House lawn. You see, next week, for example, uh, Klaatu lands with his robot Gort uh, mm-hmm. in front of the National, you know, the national Mall uh, and steps out. Christians should not have a problem with that because what God was saying there, let us create man in our image, and I think that word image is what throws us off, doesn't mean that God is a biped standing about six feet tall. What it means is we humans, every single one of us, regardless of age, ethnicity, uh, level of uh, education, cognitive ability, whatever, we are created as God's imagers. I mean, the Hebrew is nuanced and, and English doesn't do it justice. We are created in a sense as God's moral agents on earth. He gave us dominion over the earth in the same way he has dominion over all of creation. And if a, uh, a Zeta Reticulin were to somehow someday show up in front of the U- United Nations, mm-hmm. that does not change our status as humans, as God's image bearers on planet Earth. Regardless of what that says about the Zeta Reticulins and their, you know, their status on their planet. Right. Now, having said that, we don't believe that there's any credible evidence that we have, in fact, been visited by visitors, uh, by uh, entities from outside the solar system. We do think we're being visited and have been visited for a very long time. But again, going back to the work of Valet and Hynek and the conclusions that they drew, John Keel as well, uh, we're dealing with extra dimensional entities, which again is a definition that can be applied to fallen angels and demons. You know, but how can we, how, how can we know for certain? Like when you look back in, in the time of, of Moses, you know, the, there, the knowledge that was available to this person to to actually depict what was going on is limited to what he actually saw. They had no knowledge of science or biology or sure. chemistry or astronomy. So how do we know for a fact that Moses just didn't make all this up? 
Well, there, there is a lot of archaeological evidence that suggests that the narrative of the Bible is true. And I understand that most scholars, secular scholars, would disagree and say, no, there's no evidence that the Israelites were ever in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a period of history called the first or the second intermediate period in Egyptian history, um, roughly 1750 BC to about 1850 BC, where a group of Semitic speaking people called the Hyksos, they were actually Amorites, were in control of northern Egypt. Now, you want to know why God uh, parted the Red Sea, for example. If you read uh, Exodus chapter 14, uh, and this is what started me down the path of writing the book, The Great uh, Inception, um, God tells Moses and the Israelites, turn back, turn around. I mean, they're getting away, and he says, turn around, camp here at a place called Baal Zephon. Okay, Baal is the chief god of the Canaanites. Now, I wasn't a historian, am not a historian, but I knew that much history. So what is this Canaanite god doing in Egypt? The Egyptians were not known for um, diversity, okay? The Semites, they had to eat at a separate table, okay? (laughs) Um, Why did they have a place named for Baal anywhere near the Red Sea? And why was it called Baal Zephon? Well, doing a little digging, found out that Mount Zephon was known to everyone in the ancient world as the holy mountain of Baal. It's in Turkey today. It's called Jebel al-Akra. It's on the Syrian border right on the Mediterranean coast. And everyone knew that's where Baal's palace was located. So you got this place sacred to Baal, named for his holy mountain somewhere close to the Red Sea. Well, why on the shore of the Red Sea? Because in Canaanite religion, Baal had mastered the chaos god represented by the sea, a god called Yam. So Yahweh of the Bible, Yahweh, the creator, the one who had chosen the Israelites as his people, said, okay, I'm not just delivering you from the hand of the Egyptians today. I'm delivering you from the hand of Baal by mastering the sea, which he was supposed to have defeated and made subject to his whim and doing it right in front of a place called that was sacred to Baal. And there are things like that all through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, how did how do we know Moses didn't make it up? Well, Again, I come back to the eyewitness testimony of the first century, the apostles who saw Jesus of Nazareth perform miracles, die, rise from the dead, literally. This was a key part of their testimony. And since Jesus validated the Old Testament, at least this is how the path went for me. Once I accepted that the eyewitness testimony of the apostles was correct, and then Jesus validated the history of the Old Testament, it's like, okay, well, then I guess I'll have to take that as well. You know, I, I, I can appreciate your, your belief. And, and I don't want to take anything away from your belief. But looking at this as, as, as a journalist, I have to say, well, all right, you're talking about eyewitness testimony that mm-hmm. it's only appearing in a book that many people believe the majority of it is fictional. It's just like me or, or anyone else writing a movie script, watching that movie, and saying, well, this must be true because this actor who is, you know, who is acting to be uh, Sam Gifford or whoever says that this really happened. So no, how, I, I get where you're coming yeah. from. I, I totally agree with, with your point of view. And that's why I dug into the apologetics behind the, uh, uh, the validity of the, uh, the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because I found myself some years back as, as Mr. Mom had primary physical custody of our six-year-old daughter. Right. And I realized one night I couldn't tell her why I believed what was right and what was wrong. So I had to do some worldview examination, and that's what led me here. But this is the key difference between the accounts of the apostles, for example, and the accounts of many experiencers and contactees, uh, or even, you know, dare I say it, uh, Muhammad, who was... uh, was delivered the message in a cave with no witnesses. Mm-hmm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and bear in mind he's writing about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, on the third day, he wrote, he was raised on the third day, talking about Jesus, in accordance right. with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, Paul was telling the church at Corinth, Look, if you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem and ask around, because most of the witnesses of the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth are still alive. Jesus didn't appear to just one at a time, multiple witnesses who could corroborate the story. But that leaves a lot to question. If you take it from a, a purely investigative outlook, when you say Jesus was resurrected. How do we know and how can we confirm that he, in fact, was dead? 
It could have been something that put him into a deep sleep, a great loss of blood, lost consciousness. People thought he was dead. He was buried. He wasn't dead. He revived, and bang, he came out. And of course, in order to spin the story further, you've got the prophecy that has been fulfilled. Now, so well, those are those are theories that have been put forward, uh, Rob. And uh, you know, again, I'm happy to talk about that mm-hmm. because this is an area of interest for me and, and something that I studied in great depth. Because again, I wanted to know that my worldview was based on something that's true. Now, when you get right down to it, at some point you have to weigh the evidence and say, what's more plausible? The Romans were trained at doing what they did. In fact, uh, guys who were supposed to execute a prisoner and didn't successfully execute the prisoner mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, were, were very harshly punished. They had a vest, vested interest in making sure that somebody they said was dead was actually dead. Um, there, there are plenty of books out there that will investigate these alternate theories that perhaps he was revived in the coolness of the tomb, uh, that the apostles uh, stole him away in the dead of night to fulfill a prophecy. But when you look at what the apostles believed, um, even in Acts chapter 1, when they had been with the resurrected Jesus, according to the scriptures, uh, for 40 days, they still didn't understand that his mission had been to die in the first place. They were looking for a political military savior to drive out the Romans and restore the throne of David and Israel to its proper place in the geopolitical uh, prominence that they they anticipated. In Acts chapter 1, they were still asking the risen Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They didn't get it until Pentecost, which was after Jesus was finally taken up into heaven. All right, stand by. I've got to take my next break. Exonation will be back after this break. Don't go away. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www. WilliamSPeckham.com.
The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com, on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out what we have for you available on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We're going to be talking about a new book that is out. Uh, Our guest is Derek Gilbert, and he is the co-author of The Day the Earth Stands Still, and he co-wrote it with Josh Peck. Now, uh, what if the modern push for the official disclosure of ETIs and UFOs is actually an ancient effort? What if the conspiracy can be traced back to the old gods, fallen Elohim, who rebelled against the Creator? And what if they're planning one final attempt to take control of our planet? Well, noted researchers and authors Josh Peck and Derek P. Gilbert team up to expose the disturbing truth behind official disclosure. Our guest this hour is Derek P. Gilbert, host Skywatch TV, a Christian television program that airs on several networks, and co-hosts Sci Friday, a weekly television program that analyzes science news with his wife, author, Sharon K. Gilbert. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Derek. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Rob, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell me a little bit about your interest in, um, you know, what we're going to be talking about this hour, the, the, the truth about disclosure, UFOs, ETs, and, and such. Uh this is almost the unified field conspiracy theory, I think. Uh, as a kid growing up, I was fascinated with science fiction. I was a science fiction lover from uh, childhood when I began at uh, the age of like four trying to emulate Mr. Spock's eyebrow mm-hmm. move, you know, the fascinating captain, uh, through high school where I was reading hard science fiction whenever I had a spare minute. Um, authors like Heinlein, Bradbury, uh, Asimov, uh, Larry Niven, Jerry Purnell, who recently passed away, sadly. Um, that was that was my literary literary bread and butter. Uh, I, you know, I love that stuff. Um, and I always, you know, imagine it, it's kind of an escapist, I guess, uh, um, fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thinking, you know, what what is out there when you look up at the sky at night and you see the the just vast number of stars out there and imagine, you know, what is going on out there. And then you start hearing and reading about um, things like the Roswell incident, um, you know, uh, Rendlesham, you know, Kecksburg, uh, other famous UFO encounters and wonder, you know, wh- what if they're here? As an adult, I began digging into why I believe what I believe, you know, my worldview, uh, you know, what is my worldview founded on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's fine to believe in things, but I'd like to know what whether what I'm believing in is actually true. And that led me to digging into uh, Christian apologetics. You know, why do we believe the Bible is true and accurate as it's been preserved for us? And I uh, dug into that evidence and came away convinced that the eyewitness accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth were accurately preserved and uh, account for the survival of the Christian church beyond the end of the first century in spite of brutal persecution. Um, so I tried to apply that same 
type of investigation into some of the more fascinating uh, accounts of recent uh, recent history. I mean, uh, you know, Roswell is is fascinating. Um, the the Maury Island incident, fascinating. Kenneth Arnold's sightings at Mount Rainier, 1947, mm-hmm. fascinating stuff. Uh, what is really behind those events? Um, the accounts of contactees and abductees, fascinating stuff. What's really behind all of that? And when you begin to encounter the work of researchers like Jacques Vallée and John Keel and J. Allen Hynek, who, by their own accounts, are not Christians, not approaching this with a uh, with a dog in the hunt, as it were, to to uh, validating the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they come away saying, you know, extra dimensional seems to be the correct term for the UFO phenomenon, rather than extraterrestrial. Then you have to start saying, okay, now now you're starting to tr- tread back into um, the the. Uh, the, the arena of, of theologians. And I think that's appropriate when you look at the modern UFO phenomenon, because to be quite honest, Rob, uh, many people are approaching the UFO phenomenon, um, hoping that it will answer the big questions that religions have always tried to answer. Namely, where do we come from? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? And what happens to us when we die? And you find that there are a lot of people who are uh, looking for those answers in those mysterious lights in the sky. But when you look at the mysterious lights in the sky, no one can say with any certainty that they're extraterrestrial because Mm -hmm. as of this date, there is still no concrete evidence. There are vast questions about the credibility of the witnesses of Roswell, Randlesham Forest. There's also credibility issues there. So how can anyone with any certainty take the UFO phenomenon or alleged encounters with E.T.'s little green men or as Travis Walton describes in Fire in the Sky. How can we take this as legitimate? And what does this do if we are to say, well, you know, it's possible. What does this do to the credibility of religion at all? Well, uh, that's a really good question. And that's why we're approaching it. That's why Josh and I took on the uh, task of writing Mm -hmm. this book. Um, There are plenty of accounts, and we approach it this way. We, we acknowledge that something is going on because the majority of sightings are probably, probably uh, explainable through natural phenomena. I mean, the vast majority of UFO sightings are quite honestly, uh, you know, the planet Venus or uh, just misidentified uh, commercial craft. In some cases, they're experimental craft that the United States government and other governments right. around the world don't want other governments knowing about. Mm-hmm. But there are some that uh, can't be explained quite so easily. And we're willing to acknowledge that, okay, those encounters may exist. Um, and when it comes to the accounts of uh, contactees or abductees, yeah, you have to ask the question, uh, you know, first of all, can this, is this person's recollection of accounts accurate? Can it be verified in any way? Mm-hmm. And if not, then... Um, what exactly did they experience? And I think the UFO phenomenon, the, the, the greater UFO community, those who want to believe, as it were, you know, want to believe in an extraterrestrial presence on Earth, um, have a tendency. And I, I drew on the research of uh, Jack Brewer in his book, uh, the, the Grays Have Been Framed for this. Uh, very often, those who come forward with their stories will be encouraged to tell their stories and encouraged to accept their stories at face value. Because it uh, reinforces uh, it, its confirmation bias. It reinforces what uh, what people in that community want to believe, rather than stepping back and saying, "Okay, assuming that you were actually hearing from an entity, an external entity of some sort, how do you know it's not lying to you? How do you know it's telling you the truth? Mm-hmm. If in fact you are hearing from something that claims to be from Zeta Reticuli or wherever, or some a parallel dimension or contiguous universe, to use a phrase from the WikiLeaks email releases." Uh, how do you know they're telling you the truth? How do you verify this? And, and so when you start comparing the stories, uh, you begin to get a picture of a, a vast disinformation campaign. And I'm not saying it's government disinformation. It may, in fact, be supernatural or spiritual disinformation. And then all you can do is step back and say, okay, what's the message that's being delivered here? And how does that track with, uh, <laughs> with what we accept as true 
Uh, and yeah, again, I will say I come at this with a, with an unashamedly uh, Christian worldview because I do accept the eyewitness testimony of the uh, the apostles uh, as accurately preserved. Well, when you and say accurate, when you say accurately preserved, how do you quantify that? Well, when you look at the uh, the, the number of references, and there are a number of um, uh, sources of information I would direct uh, listeners to. For example, uh, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, Evidence of Demands and Verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, but when you start digging into the, t- the existing texts, mm-hmm. there are far more uh, original texts and copies of texts related to the New Testament than for anything else from the classical period. Uh, it is far and away the best tested, the New Testament of the Bible, far and away the best tested document that exists from the classical period. But um, but can, is it, but hasn't just, the Bible been edited and re-edited and re-edited? Like, well, you know, if if we had a copy of the Bible prior to the Council of Nicaea, I could I understand your mm-hmm. your your belief that this is untainted and this is the original documentation. But we know that's not the case. Well, that's a common misconception, but that happens not to be true. There are so many citations of New Testament scripture in the writings of the early church fathers, letters that they sent back and forth to one another, that you could destroy every New Testament in existence today and Mm -hmm. reconstruct it completely with the exception of about 15 verses, none of which have any bearing on uh, core Christian doctrine. So there is that built-in cross-check that is available. We can go back and look at the early church, uh, the early church fathers, and what they wrote to one another, and All right. see. Now, stand by. You, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back on the other side. Exonation. Derek Gilbert is our guest this hour. He, along with Josh Peck, are the authors of "The Day the Earth Stands Still." The website is www.officialdisclosure.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exon. Don't go away. We'll be back after this break. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com 
or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.